Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. I'm Megan McFarland, and welcome to our podcast series, Catechism and Sacraments Q&A. Today's episode will provide some insight and thoughts on question number eight. Today on our panel, we have Steve Mulink and we have Jim Reisler. How are you guys doing today? Marvelous. That's what we like to hear. On track. On track, yes. All right, so the eighth question, gentlemen, in the New City Catechism is, what is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? And the answer is, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you shall not covet. In the Bible passage, this question and answer is based off of his Exodus 23, which says, You shall have no other gods before me. So, gentlemen, before we get started, I would like to open with prayer, if that's okay. Lord, I want to thank you for this time of gathering together to unpack question eight. We pray, Lord, that our hearts be open and humble before you to receive whatever words you want to speak through us, Lord. Whoever is listening to this podcast, may it bring them much clarity, may it bring them peace, and may it bring them a lot of guidance, Lord, to questions that maybe they have about the Ten Commandments. And Lord, we pray that this podcast in general just be a blessing to those who are listening and to those who are on the panel as well. We pray for a good rest of the day, and we pray that in everything we do, we always keep our eyes focused on you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So, gentlemen. The first question I have is, so with kids, when you give them a list of rules and commandments, one of their first responses is, why? I assume. I don't have kids. But I remember what it was like being a kid. And I remember when I was given a lot of rules and commandments, a lot of the response I had was, why? They like to play the why game and giving the response uh, because God says so or even because it honors God, while very true, isn't entirely helpful for kids. That should be enough, but oftentimes it's not. So how can we as adults combat the why? What are some helpful ways to explain why following God's law is important to children? Steve, we'll start with you. Sure. Well, first off, I don't think we should combat the why. Mm -hmm. We should embrace it. Mm. Because remember, what's our goal as parents? It's not to have good kids. Mm. It's to to raise good adults. You know, hopefully adults that love the Lord as we do. So that's the first thing is let's embrace the why. Mm -hmm. Also, it teaches our kids to be careful what they ask for, what questions they ask. Because... (laughs) Because they'll quickly learn that my answer is, why do you think mm-hmm. that? Because they already know the answer. Right. They just want to 
you, whatever their motives are, they already know the answer. Mm -hmm. But why we should embrace the why is it gives us opportunity to talk about, you know, a couple layers down from the simple answer mm. of because God says so. Yeah. Why, why does God say so? And keep asking that why question to get down a few layers deeper. Mm-hmm. So that's my first answer is we should embrace the why. Mm. So why we should embrace the why is we could have the opportunity to say, to discuss why the law of God is important to us, not just children, but to adults as well. Mm-hmm. So that's my first answer. I really like the response of embracing the why rather than combating the why. I think that's a really good way of putting it because I can see how with combat, it's almost like you're coming at it to almost shut down the why, but finding a way to embracing the why and opening that door to ask the questions of why is a lot more beneficial. So thank you for that insight. That's really helpful. Jim, what about you? What is your response? I'm going to take a little different approach, but I... I appreciate what Steve said because that really is important is mm-hmm. to not try and uh, say well you should know and all that stuff you just say and so Steve handled that well but I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about why the Ten Commandments period oh okay and I have read uh, a lot of different commentaries and stuff over the years so it's one of these things that I think we need to focus on what comes first the chicken or the egg. And in this case, I've always heard a lot of people tell me that the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace. Well, I don't think that's the case. And I'll tell you why. Tell you why. (laughs) Anyway, as Reformed people, we tend to believe, and I think we're justified in that belief, that it's all about grace. When after Adam and Eve failed their test, if you will, or failed to obey God, they were kicked out of the garden. And since that time on, it's been all of grace. And God has set himself a people to love. He said, I want, you know, so he he selected a group of people. They weren't like Egypt, very rich and very powerful. They were a small clan of Jacob's tribe. Mm-hmm. And so they went into Egypt, and they then sort of multiplied. God was very gracious and brought them along. And so they became a threat to the new Pharaoh who didn't know about Joseph and all. I'm sure the history. And and so after 400 years, after God had told Abraham that 400 years would come, and they would be in Egypt and then be there 400 years. Well, and then 400 years passed. That's like 10 generations. Yeah. And God picked Moses. Mm -hmm. And anyway, the point I'm trying to make is it's about grace. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if you want to read chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments, you really need to consider where it is, the background. Mm -hmm. And that's chapter 19, Mm -hmm. which, as as I understand, it's like three moons since they've come across the Red Sea. Mm Mm-hmm. And chapter 19 lays out for Moses what God is going to do with his people. He's going to establish a covenant with them. Mm-hmm. And he's going to establish a moral law and other laws that come later. But this is the moral law. And so 
the first thing he does in, in chapter 19 is, is he wants them to understand about their salvation. Mm -hmm. And he says, I, the Lord your God, led you out of Egypt. I, and he made sure that they understood that he was the reason they're there in the first place because he graciously brought them out mm -hmm. as they cried in Egypt and stuff. Okay, so that's the first thing that wanted to point out. And the second thing is, in uh, verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak, when you and may also believe you forever, mm. you and your people. Well, they experienced the cloud. They understood it because when they let out of Egypt and stuff, so they understood that God was going to be speaking to them. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to make sure that they knew that. And then the third thing, he wanted to let them know that he is holy. And so he told Moses to tell his people to come to the foot of the mountain and do not try and come up the mountain because I'm going to speak because if anybody does, they, they're on holy ground and they will not survive, mm -hmm. basically. So then in chapter 20, it says, And God spoke all these words, saying, Okay, this is the only place I understand in the Bible where God speaks directly to the people. Hmm. And so then he read them, i.e. he spoke mm -hmm. the ten words or the ten commandments that you just read, mm -hmm. only in more detail, the expanded detail. So it's really knowing that I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Mm -hmm. You didn't come out. But now you're going to listen to me because we're going to set up a constitution. And the first part of the constitution is going to be the moral law. Yeah. And he lays out the Ten Commandments. And so that's important. And I think we miss the point if we think the Old Testament law was the people. They had to follow the law. They did. But we have to follow the law right. as New Testament people. Mm -hmm. And the... Uh, concept of well the old testament's all law and the new testament's all that's not true mm -hmm. it's all about god's grace and mm -hmm. god's forgiveness time and time again because we all stumble and fall right and so uh, that's the point i wanted to make now in talking to the kids i would really try if they don't i mean we the catechism includes several reasons why mm -hmm. already they questions one through seven could be the answer to yeah. this question. Uh -huh. But I would really want to impress upon them is that they need to know it's salvation by God. It's not anything that you contribute. Mm -hmm. It's by grace and grace alone. Yeah, the Ten Commandments do give a clear picture into the heart of God, if yeah. that's possible to see that. And to your point about the New and the Old Testament, Jesus built on the Ten Commandments, uh, particularly in the, on the Sermon on the Mount. He raised the bar, so to speak. Yeah. He didn't minimize those. He pointed out the hardness of the heart of the, the people that were listening and, mm -hmm. and sort of clarified the heart of God even further yeah. and make us even more aware of, of our guilt and our sin. Also, it is interesting, Scripture talks about the summary of the law several places. Love God, love your neighbor. And if you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are that vertical relationship with God, and the last six are the horizontal relationship with man. So, yeah, when you're talking to our children, you, you point out these things and hopefully make it real to them.
Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't maybe even ask why. They'd say, oh, I understand now. Mm-hmm. I understand better, but it's, you know, you shall be holy as God is holy. Mm-hmm. And I always hear the comment, well, God is love. God is love. And that's true, mm-hmm. but God's also a consuming fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is his moral character. And this ought to tell us, you know, about he is holy. Yeah. He, he expects perfection. He lets us know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love how you pointed out the Ten Commandments, and hopefully I'm saying this correctly, that the Ten Commandments give a reflection of God's heart, right? I like that. I like that a lot, that it's a reflection of God's heart. I think this has been mentioned before in a different podcast episode. I think actually in the last episode where we were talking about how the Ten Commandments give not only a good reflection of God's heart, but also like what you mentioned, Steve, when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount and how he raises the stakes, it gives us a good reflection of our hearts and how broken our hearts are. Even within our actions, like maybe we don't murder, maybe we don't steal, but he on the Sermon on the Mount, he raises it up to a matter of, well, you are not doing those things. But even if you look inside your heart, you know, going to the adultery, even if you look at a woman, unless you've already committed sin. So... It's a reflection of God's heart in a way of saying, look at how holy he is. But it's also a reflection, it goes into our heart and saying, now look at how broken your guys' hearts are. Look at how fallen we are. Those are really good thoughts. You know, one more point. I happen to be a fan of John Calvin. (laughs) And he made a comment in his institutes. He says, to know God, you got to know yourself. Mm. To know yourself, you have to know God. Yeah. You know, you hear that God is holy, but what does that mean? And then, you know, you know, well, I'm not so bad. You know, we get into that later, so I don't want But anyway, sure. as you grow, you finally get to the point where you understand how you're radically deprived. Mm-hmm. And God is holy as, you know, he's holy. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. You know, Paul claims that he is the worst of sinners. Mm-hmm. Well, if Paul is the worst of sinners, where does that leave me? <laughs> right? So, yeah, the more you are in tune with God and his requirements and his holiness, the more you are aware of your own condition apart from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it takes, you know, it, it, it's a struggle because we all have a, by nature, we're sinful creatures. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, that sort of grabs us. Mm-hmm. The next question that I have for you guys are, what are some helpful strategies that you guys have used to help combat idols in your life? One of the things that's brought in here is idols. You shall not have any other gods before me. So what are some helpful strategies that you use to combat idols in your life? And Jim, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, the first three commandments are all tied together because it's about worship. Mm -hmm. And... There's a disagreement amongst people that, well, we shouldn't have a picture of some depiction of Christ up on a, you know, in a pretty stained glass window because that would be people looking at that and idol worship. Well, Mm. that may or may not be true. I don't think it's true. But the point is, it's a balance. But in the book of Exodus, even after God gave him the Ten Commandments, and then Moses went up on the hill again and talked to God and built a golden calf. Now, that's a figure of a cow, I guess it was. But they claimed to be worshiping Yahweh, okay, Mm -hmm. God. 
But God didn't take it that way. He was right. very upset. Right. So, but idols in our life, you know, I have a hard time understanding idols mm -hmm. because I don't think I got any idols that I worship. But idolatry is anything that displeases God. And just based on my history, which is not in the faith that long, 20 years or so, mm -hmm. spent a little time before that being there, but not really knowing what I was doing. Sure. But anyway, what always worried me, I used to make statements, and I don't know if I should even say that here, I will, because I'm not afraid of saying it, but I used to remember, I'd always make comment like, well, what's the big deal with Jesus following the law perfectly? Mm -hmm. He's God, mm -hmm. you know. Or I know that there's attributes of God that just that you don't really don't appreciate. Sure. Because you think you have some control over your salvation stuff. That's why I think it's so important to work on that. But so I think it's basically a great serious problem in some of your attitudes toward who God is until mm -hmm. you spend enough time in the Word. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus said, eternal life is knowing God and the person he sent, i.e. Jesus. Mm -hmm. That's eternal life. And where does that line cross over? And, and uh, or is it, you know, so I'm, I'm confused on that, but it's a problem. And I think we all have tendencies to not appreciate God fully. I know we don't, because mm -hmm. I don't know if we can. Mm -hmm. or, and then also thinking we're just a little better off than we really are. <laughs> but I don't know if I got an idol. I don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. Steve, what are your thoughts on this question? So I, <clears throat> in looking at this question, I reflect on my history over my life and as a child and probably even until recently, I thought, what's the big deal with idols? You know, a golden calf, that's sort of dumb. And uh, wood and stone. I did love the story in the Old Testament of the Philistines. Their god was Dagon, I believe. Mm -hmm. And when the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the mm -hmm. Philistines, remember Dagon basically fell over in front of the Ark and you know, crashed all over the floor. And then it happened again the next night. And I thought, as a child, that is the coolest story. You know, chalk one up for the good team. But idols didn't really play a role in... I, I didn't get it mm -hmm. because the gold or wood or stone is not something that resonated with me. But lately, I, you look at it, what is an idol? It's really anything that takes your attention or allegiance. And there are a lot of things in our lives. You know, just, yeah. just name them. Your yeah. retirement account, your job, your reputation, your status, your abilities, your golf score. You know, all of those things can come between you and God and really become an idol to you. So back to the question, helpful strategies for me? It's a regular reflection on where I am and where my allegiances are. And if there's anything in my life that might turn into an idol, I confess that before God and ask for the Spirit to take that away so it doesn't become an idol. Mm -hmm. So a story, I, 11 years ago I bought a nice car. And the best thing that could ever have happened is one of our church members backed into the door and put a, <gasps> put a crease in it. Oh, Looking no. back on it, it was the best thing that ever happened because it made me realize that this car that I enjoyed so much mm -hmm. is just a thing. 
Mm. And it woke me up to the fact that that car could have become an idol to me. Mm. But then this event caused me to reflect on my own priorities mm. and recognize it for what it could have been. Mm. And God has blessed me ever since, and I still enjoy the car, and the, the crease has uh, <laughs> relaxed out, and you can't really see it now. So. Nice. Those are some of the strategies. Constantly be on guard for something that could turn into an idol in your life and lay that in front of the Lord and ask him to remove that. It's interesting that you bring up the story of your car because I can even sometimes feel that with my own car. (laughs) I really love my car, my cute little yellow car, Sunshine. I love it very, very much. I prayed for that car. A lot of prayer went into that car before I bought it. And the Lord has been, again, like what you said, very gracious and very, and just a blessing to have. But yeah, I relate with that a little bit. We're like, yeah, I love that car a lot. (laughs) Here's the problem I was having. The first three commandments are about worship. You didn't worship that car. That's sort of the context. But I know that's not really an idol, maybe, but it is. In my mind, it's anything that comes between you and the Holy God. And Mm -hmm. sure, cars can become idols. I think anything can have the ability to become an idol. Even thinking about the golden calf story that you brought up from the Bible, they designed that golden calf, and I may need some correction on this. My mind's a little fuzzy on what happens in Exodus, but I'm pretty sure that they built that golden calf to worship it, but almost for, was it for God? I may need clarification. They said that they were worshiping Yahweh. Yeah, and that's Aaron what it was. And threw the gold in, in the fire and out popped the calf. Right. <laughs> Even right. with that, they're like, yeah, we're worshiping Yahweh by worshiping this calf. And like, no, that is so, that's not, no, that's not how that works. Anything can become an idol. Even something really simple and you wouldn't think that would become an idol. And the one that I was going to say related to your comment is about how not being completely perfect. I don't think we'll ever be without the temptation of falling into idolatry until Jesus comes back. That's true. That's going to be a constant struggle that we will probably face until Jesus comes back or until we go home to be with him. The next question that I have is how can we teach children to honor your father and mother And how can we try to model that as adults by honoring our own fathers and mothers? Steve, we'll start with you. Sure. I don't know that we'll directly find this in Scripture, but the first thing that I would attempt to do is to be worthy of honor, right? Mm -hmm. So parent in a way where it isn't a duty or an obligation for your kids to honor you, but more of a privilege. Mm -hmm. Having said that, There's a whole concept in scripture of authority. And when you look at parents or you look at teachers or your boss or your the police or your government, (laughs) yeah, all of those people or institutions are put in place and you can trace their authority back to the authority of God. And the same is true with fathers and mothers is that is a structure that God has created for the raising of children And he has instilled on fathers and mothers his authority. So if we, either through example or through talking about it, explain it to our children that by obeying us as parents, 
you are practicing our obedience to God himself mm-hmm. through that chain of authority. I think that that helps all of us understand. That is really helpful. And I think as kids, it is a struggle. From what I remember of being a kid, it was a struggle sometimes to be obedient and to understand that authority isn't always out to get you and it isn't it's not often authority is not looking for your ill it's looking to like in terms of the police teachers parents are often setting those boundaries and setting those limitations often for your own good now that's not always the case because we do live in a fallen world sometimes parents teachers they do set limitations and boundaries that aren't always for their good And it's important to recognize that, but it doesn't mean to shut off ever listening to authority ever again. And I think that's a mindset that's really easy to fall into if we're not careful. Jim, what about you? Sort of add on to what Steve said, but I think as a parent, of course, I raised my children. I don't believe I was a follower of Christ, okay? Mm -hmm. I mean, I went to church, but that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I think as a parent, it's being consistent with Mm -hmm. your kids because you've got to set some ground rules for how the house is going to operate or you're going to be able to use the car on Friday night when you get a little older. you got to set some ground rules. But you got to be consistent in your love for them and your discipline for them if they fail to obey whatever guidelines you put out. And I think that helps a lot in getting their respect. Because if I turn my back and say, well, I don't do anything about it this time, well, what's going to happen then? It's going to snowball. Right. And so that's what I was going to say is that it's being consistent in your treatment of your children. Mm-hmm. I like what Steve said about giving them how the authority system works. And I believe that if you go to the larger catechism and stuff, Steve mentioned it, that commandment applies to areas where Steve talked about. Mm-hmm. My employer, mm-hmm. you know, I'm under the authority of someone in that organization. Right. And I always had trouble with some of it, you know, some of that because (laughs) you have have issues with respect and stuff. You know, that's the way us fallen world works. So I really think that that's the way I saw it. And I don't think I was very consistent. Mm -hmm. It didn't end well. Mm -hmm. But it ended well now, several years later. Sure. But, yeah. And that's where God's grace comes into play. Right. And that's God's providence over that situation as well. And, and even hearing that, seeing how in before maybe it wasn't consistent, but even from that inconsistency, seeing how there was still good fruit coming out of it, like praise God for that. <laughs> like glory to God for that. Yeah. I mean, even thinking back to God, like he's a consistent God. He doesn't say one thing and then do another right and he's always faithful in his promises and so yeah i would i would agree with that consistency is really important when it comes to honoring your father and mother to modeling how to honor your mother and father so the next question i have is in what ways is the law for our benefit and in what ways does it remind us that we need jesus and jim we'll start with you well first off our benefit is in attempting to follow the law to the best of our ability, with the assistance of the Spirit who dwells within us, once you're a believer, Mm -hmm. you know, we learn from Scripture that obedience leads to blessings Mm -hmm. and disobedience leads to curses. 
Deuteronomy really stresses that. And that's the same. I mean, God treats his people, but he also disciplines his people. And so I think that's the way the law is of benefit to us is that we know that because mm -hmm. we're given the law. And so it's making us strive to be obedient. Now, we fail miserably at times. Mm -hmm. Understand that. And in what way does it remind us that we need Jesus? Well, we're failures. <laughs> we're radically deprived. Mm -hmm. And we have since we fail it once, and once you fail it one tidbit, according to Jesus, mm -hmm. you fail the whole thing. You mm -hmm. know, that's maybe an exaggeration, but I mean, I don't think he said it, but I did. But the point is, it leads us to know that we are failures as far as being perfect. Mm -hmm. We can never achieve that. Mm -hmm. There's only been one perfect human on this earth, and that was Jesus. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we can often just take for granted every day. And I think it's really, really easy to work and to strive and to forget that in order to do anything and in order to reflect God in any way, we need Jesus. <laughs> we can't do it from our own effort. And yeah, we're failures at that. But again, thanks to God's grace, we have that peace that can help us through that. Steve, what about you? What are some thoughts that you have? Start with the second question. In what ways does it remind us that we need Jesus? And Jim said this, it, it really reveals the condition of our heart. Mm -hmm. So I don't know about you guys, but I haven't murdered anyone recently. I don't think so. I don't think no, I have. No. But when you look at Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about if you even hate someone, or I believe that isn't that where he talks about calling someone you idiot, you mm. fool, mm. yeah, you jerk, real bad. exactly. I mean, he equates that to murder. And who of us is you know doesn't spout off when you get cut off in traffic or whatever, you know that it reveals the condition <laughs> of our heart, and so that that's what the law does. And in what ways is the law for our benefit? Well, the obvious ones, when you think about you know, adultery, if you obey that, you aren't going to have an unwanted child, mm -hmm. or you're not going to get a transmitted disease. Mm -hmm. So it's for our, it's for our good. Right. You know, all of these, these uh, fences or boundaries are for our good. Mm -hmm. So that's a simplistic way of looking at it. But yeah, it, it benefits us because it's for our good, and it reminds us of our of our condition and the need for Jesus. Mm -hmm. Thinking back to the comment that was made about discipline, I mean, even the discipline, again, and there's always exceptions in today's world because discipline by humans can always go too far. But discipline in most cases is used with the hopes that whatever was done will hopefully be learned and hopefully not done again. And again, not for now. It may take a few, may take a few times of the discipline, of grounding, of taking away privileges of their toys or things like that. Next question I have is: How does Jesus fulfill the law, and how does that affect how we live out the law today? Steve, we'll start with you. Yeah. So, how does he fulfill it? He fulfills it perfectly and completely, with no exceptions. How does it affect how we live out the law today? You know, I don't know whether it was a parable or I guess it was an account where Jesus was talking to that lawyer who says, you know, what must I do to be saved? And you know, love God and love your neighbor and follow the law, all that. And he says, 
the lawyer said, all these things have done. What, do, what am I still lacking? And you know, even that person understood that something was missing inside. And that's what the law does for us, is it, it exposes those things. And really, that attorney, you know, he had an idol. It was his riches, because that was Jesus' answer. He put his finger right on it. You know, sell all these things and follow me. And who of us doesn't have that one thing or <laughs> that multiple things? That we just things? won't give up. <laughs> yeah. So really, it's the law that exposes what's lacking or what's wrong in our heart or in our lives. I can think of a lot of things even within my own life. Like even thinking about like cell phones. I think it would be really hard for me to probably give up my cell phone completely. I think that's just kind of the world. Or even Wi-Fi. When Wi-Fi is down, it is just no fun. Because <laughs> we are so dependent on Wi-Fi to be able to do a lot of the things that we do today. And yet we think about how Jesus gave his life so that way we can have an opportunity to be with the Father once again and be reunited once again. That's a good way of thinking about it. Jim, what about you? Well, I... Uh... Jesus told us that he did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, had not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And he went through this list, and the point is, he is the Lamb of God, mm -hmm. you know, which takes away the sins. And so he also fulfilled what that would be called the ceremonial laws. And I'm not going through all of them, but, it, you know, the animal sacrifices. That's done with because he is the ultimate sacrifice for the people. Mm -hmm. And Abraham looked forward to his day, mm -hmm. you know. So he just, he, he did make this comment. I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota nor a dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Mm -hmm. So he accomplished that. The other laws, the civil laws, those were laws that were like, if you kill my cow, you got to, you know, pay right. tribute, all that stuff. But mm -hmm. he's talking about the moral law and, and the ceremonial law, basically. And I think that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So he fulfilled it. And then he went on to let us know that we're to, and then the last, very last line in Matthew it's the Great Commission, mm -hmm. no? Mm -hmm. And he's talking to his disciples. Yeah. And I think it's really important that we sometimes think Great Commission is going out and making converts. Well, that's true, but we're to make disciples. Mm -hmm. And he said that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age mm. that I have commanded you. Mm. Jesus maybe gave them more commandments than uh, Moses did. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some really good thoughts. The last question I have is, it's easy to use the commandments or some sort of list that maybe we make up on our own as a glorified checklist in order to elevate ourselves and say, look at how good I am. How do we remain humble while following God's law? Jim, we'll start with you. Well, you know, I mentioned the Calvin comment earlier, but 
The point is, the only way I know that worked for me is I finally come to the point where I said, you know what, Jesus died for me. And it's knowing your depravity. Mm -hmm. It's really understanding who you really are. We're a sinner. We're going to be sinners from this day till I head to the Golden Gate or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's what I think. And then here's the way I deal with it because I was really bad. You know, I got into a situation and I always said, oh, I'm better than that guy. You know, I always had that, I'm looking horizontally. Sure. And I'm really maybe not judging myself properly at the time, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're in a vertical relationship, you can't miss it. You know it. Right. It's really easy to use the commandments or whatever checklist that you hold to, to not only as a way to bolster yourself up, but as a way to look down on others who may not be doing the same thing. And we need to be really mindful. Like accountability is good, right? Accountability is great. But we need to be really mindful that comparison actually says a lot about your heart and how much you really value yourself and how high of a pedestal you hold yourself. And yeah, you're right. We need to be accountable to that. We need to be accountable to what's holding in our heart. Steve, what about you? Yeah, earlier I talked about constantly reflecting and identifying idols or things that might become idols. Mm -hmm. and, and here's a continuation of that. How do we remain humble while following God's law? That is the answer, is to remain humble, always reflect, always be aware of our fallen condition. And then and only then will we, through God's grace, be able to follow the law. So when I was younger, particularly through my college years, I got really good at uh, pushing the limits. So <laughs> let me give you a, a, a mental picture here. We're sitting in, in front of a round table here. Cool. So, so if you uh, envision that God and his perfect will is at the center of the table, and off the edge of the table is not God's will, that's called sin, right? Okay. Then think of it around the edge of the table, on the table, might be things that... Well, like the car example earlier, cars are neither inherently good or inherently evil, right. but they could go either direction if they aren't in the right priority. Mm -hmm. So I was really good at knowing exactly where the edge of the table was. Well, <laughs> think about that mental picture there. If you're always viewing, looking at the edge of the table, what or who aren't you looking at? Mm. Therein lies the solution. If we focus on Jesus and move toward the center of the table, so to speak, mm -hmm. suddenly the edge of the table becomes irrelevant. Com yeah. If, uh -huh. if our constant effort is to live as close to the God and his perfect will, everything in life is better. Mm -hmm. So don't be like I was. Don't, don't focus on the edge of the table. <laughs> Remember Paul talks about the lukewarm Christian? You know, you think of a Coke that's been sitting on the table for a day or something and you drink it, yuck, that's yeah. gross. Spit it out. Yeah. Well, that's who I was Aww. earlier in my life. So I would encourage all of us to you know, really put our eyes on Jesus and get as close to him as we can because everything about life gets better mm -hmm. when, when that.
that's the case. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if I was lukewarm. I might have been cold. <laughs> it's cold. Was it cold Coke? Yeah. I was going to add, I have sure. to always add a little funny once in a while. Oh, know? yeah, please. So I love One funny. of my favorite theologians <laughs> is Hank and Ernest. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, comic strip. Oh, okay. You know, cool. That in the paper. This one is, there's a poster here with seven deadly sins. Mm -hmm. Anger, envy, covetousness, gluttony. Well, I'm good at that one. Lust, <laughs> sloth, pride. He says, after you've successfully resisted the other six deadly sins, it's really hard not to be proud. Oh. Yeah, a lot of truth to that. There yeah. is a lot of truth to that. Because yeah. I, yeah, I think. He has, he has some great <laughs> comic strips. He's not always on the. Like that. Yeah. I think pride is the key to a lot of struggles that we have in our life. I think pride could even be equated to the other sins that are listed, like gluttony, like lust, oh, yeah, like sloth. I think pride is like the overarching thing, and then those can be kind of the droplet effects. And it's really hard not to be proud. I really like the analogy of the edge of the table, Jesus in the yeah, center. That was good. That was really good. And I think in moments where we are legit asking the question, well, is this pushing the limits? Oh, I can't. Is this, does the Bible really say this? Is this something that, is this a sin? Is this a sin? I don't, I think in those moments, instead of testing the boundaries, bringing that before God and being sincere and asking, I wonder if there's a question of whether or not this is a sin and it's coming between you and your relationship with Christ. Um, if you're even asking that question, then maybe it's time to really sit and reflect about the impact that that has in your life, about what those limits have in your life. Gentlemen, do you have any other closing thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Not really, but uh, I'm surprised that neither of you asked who was it that backed into my car. <laughs> if it was someone from the congregation, maybe, maybe it's a good question not to ask. We'll ask later. <laughs> Gentlemen, guys, thank you so much for being on this podcast. And thank you all for those tuning in. Thank you so much for joining us today. This was such a great conversation. If those of you listening have any questions or comments, please drop them down below or contact us at the church office. Thank you all so much.